0: Ready? Born ready.
1: Welcome back. It's another episode of your Favorite political podcast, Where the Party At? I'm your host, Sabalong. I'm sorry I missed you guys last week. I was traveling, and I kept trying to record, and time just kept slipping away. Dang. All right, so y'all, shout out to First Lady Jill Biden. She was in Athens a couple weeks ago. I reached out to her and asked her if she wanted to grab dinner, but she said she had to get back to her boo because he had COVID. Uh, he's recovered, and then he tested positive again. Poor guy. Oh? Dang. Uh, Other news, we may or may not be in a recession. It just depends on who you talk to. Technically, we are, but Democrats are not claiming it. Uh, We'll see what happens with that. What else is going on? Let's dive right in. So, always starting with what's going on locally, two local governments are having some major, major drama right now. Uh, First is the Clayton County Commission. They recently fired their chief financial officer. That's just the person who's in charge of all the money. Uh, but the county chairman and two of the commissioners were opposed to the firing. The CFO, this woman, had been in the position for nine years and was well-respected. Now, generally, not all the time, but a lot of the times, local governments hire executive-level employees, and they'll have an employment contract. It outlines what that employee has to do, what perks they'll receive, that kind of stuff. So in the CFO's contract, it was agreed upon that the county would pay for any continuing education she pursued as CFO. Continuing education just means if she wanted to go get an additional degree, any kind of certifications, things of that sort. So one of the issues the commissioners who voted to oust her had is that the county chair approved payments for her Ph.D. program to Vanderbilt. So in retaliation, those commissioners passed legislation that says the county chair had to have the commission approve all contracts. So don't feel too bad for the CFO. After she was fired by Clayton County, she was hired by Douglas County, which is up by Cobb County, to be their new CFO. And that was a unanimous vote from the Douglas County Commission. And so the fact that another county hired her so fast, it shows that Just maybe the firing was completely unwarranted. And I think stuff like this makes it harder for Clayton County to hire top-tier talent because they see political drama and say, I'm good, I'll pass on that. The other place where there has been some local political drama is the city of South Fulton and similar situation. So the county commission called a special session a week ago on a Friday afternoon and it got kind of weird. They were essentially trying to figure out a way to get rid of the mayor, Khalid Camus. So Mayor Camus was elected in 2020 and he beat then mayor Bill Edwards. Bill Edwards is the guy who actually made the city of South Fulton happen. Now, by the way, Mayor Camus identifies as a democratic socialist. So the commission they vote to go into executive session. That's executive session is essentially where. Generally, your commission meetings, uh, city council meetings, are public. They're publicly broadcast. But when they go into executive session, that means they meet behind closed doors because they're discussing a personnel matter or a real estate matter, and it involves the law department. So, usually when you go into an executive session, you have to have the city attorney present. Uh, But the mayor had previously tried to fire the city attorney, and that's one of the things that they were debating and so the city council is trying to stop the firing of the city attorney. And the other thing is, the mayor is trying to get rid of the police chief. There is a lot of drama, a lot of back and forth. Take a look. Listen-
2: I move to vacate the chair for the duration of this meeting.
3: Second. All right, it's been properly moved and seconded. Is there any discussion? I have discussion uh is is there do we have a reason for vacating the chair?
2: pursuant to Robert's rules of order newly revised eleventh edition, the current presiding officer is acting in ways that are contrary to this council and to this city, and so therefore I move that we vacate the chair.
3: okay, it's been properly moved and seconded. Uh, I'm going to ask Chief for meadows I'm going to ask for an uh, opinion from the city attorney. I'm not familiar with this Robert's Rule, so would you please explain what a vacation of the chair for myself and the viewing public uh, consists of?
4: Mayor, if you're now recognizing the city attorney, uh, it's Robert's Rules of Order that for this meeting that they've made a motion which could be seconded and if carried uh that you're no longer basically in control of the meeting so I, i'm no longer acting as chair you can still be here but you don't know no acting as chair of the meeting
3: okay uh is there a so that is pursuant and, and it is it is your opinion that i can be removed uh as the chair of this meeting without a hearing
4: Mayor, the emphasis is not as your charter ability, but just purely as presiding under Robert's Rules of Order.
3: All right, so if I am no longer the chair, does that make me a voting member? I'm not going to go into further detail, but just for the purpose of this, put it like this. What well, we're going I'm to, I'm no longer the chair, but I'm allowed to attend. I'm an elected official, and I am not the chair. Your, so I, I, I can either vote or I cannot vote. I just need your, you to opine whether or not I can vote. Your voting status doesn't change right. under the sorry, Your voting status doesn't change. So, so I have been neutralized. Uh, your, your, your opinion, I just, I just want to state for the record, that our city attorney who opined he could not be removed without a hearing has now opined that I can be removed without a hearing and uh i am now going to i I, i'm going to make a uh, point of order we have a we have a point of order from the chair i'm i'm sorry uh the the chair for these last few minutes recognizes councilwoman williams all right uh councilwoman williams
2: pursuant to robert's rules of order newly revised the 11th edition. It provides that when a presiding officer, who is often the president, but in this case is the mayor, refuses to follow Robert's rules, abuses their power, or acts in an arbitrary manner, that the body can vote to vacate the chair.
3: All right, it has been uh, properly moved and seconded. Uh, Please sound, and and I'm sorry, what one more for p- the
2: duration of this meeting so uh, I, I, I got it but no right now has- I'm still
3: the chair and so I have a second point of order for our city attorney and that is who will become the chair when the chair is vacated will, this is sir. new for us
4: council can vote to who will chair the meeting or it could fall to me but it would be at the council body
3: to vote all right thank you very much all right, with that, Mr. Clerk, please call the vote. It's a roll call vote. Councilmember Raoul. Yes. Councilmember Gums? Yes. Councilmember Willis?
2: Yes.
4: Councilmember Sebastian. Yes. Mayor Pro Tim. Temp- Thank you. Councilmember Williams. Yes. That motion was approved unanimously. Mr. Clerk is on the next item, please, sir. Dang.
1: So a few people in the audience were escorted out by police later on in the meeting. So basically what happens is the first guy you hear talking is the mayor. Uh, As mayor, you preside over the council. So the council passed a vote to remove him as the presiding chair of that particular meeting. Now, that doesn't mean he's no longer the mayor. That just means he is no longer in control of that meeting. Then later on in that meeting, they went and passed a vote of no confidence in the mayor which is, I don't know if I've ever seen this happen in local Metro Atlanta politics before. So the mayor did not question or comment on the vote of no confidence. Uh, if you go back and watch the video, he, you notice that his phone is in his hand the entire time and he's texting people. I'm not sure, you know, if he's talking to political operatives, a personal attorney, I don't know. Now, before the meeting even happened, two groups came out in support of the mayor. One is New Georgia Projects Action Fund. Uh, You might know them as NGPAF. And the other is the Working Families Party of Georgia. So the question for me, and I'm sure the people of South Fulton, is what does this mean for the duration of Mayor Comeau's term? Now, a mayor can be suspended by the governor if they have been indicted and if a special committee makes that recommendation. A mayor can also be recalled. Now, the last time there was an attempt to recall a Georgia mayor, it was against Jason Larry, who at the time was the mayor of Stonecrest, but there weren't enough signatures to go through with the recall election. As an aside, Mayor Jason Larry uh, is now going to jail for COVID, COVID relief fraud, basically. So... I don't know when the next Clayton County Commission meeting is going to be, but I suspect it's not going to go well. Um, My guess is the same folks who voted to remove the mayor from presiding over the meeting will continue to do so uh, in each meeting. So, my hope is that the Georgia Municipal Association comes in and tries to mediate the situation because it's just not fair to the people of South Fulton to have this much level of dysfunction in their city government
0: so, so that vote of no confidence that's just from the city council but he's not going to be removed from being the acting mayor no the, the p- only the people, the people
1: can remove okay. him or the governor yeah, and true. he hasn't been indicted on a crime so i don't see the this governor is just basically
0: right. robert's rule order like they were saying just political right banter
1: right gotcha. but at the end of the day it's the citizens who have to sit there and, and watch that happen yeah. and
0: because I even heard, they were like, oh, we have to clear the meeting and reconvene. So now if I'm a citizen, I'm like, well, I got to leave and come mm, back. And
1: that happened, I think, twice.
0: Mm. Sad.
1: Right. In other Georgia news, uh, we have a new justice on the Georgia Supreme Court, the Honorable Andrew A. Penson. He was chosen by Governor Kemp to replace the chief justice who resigned slash retired uh, in June. So Judge Henson previously clerked, by the way, for U.S. Supreme Court Justice Clarence Thomas. Um, So speaking of the courts, the 11th Circuit Court of Appeals lifted the injunction on Georgia's six-week abortion ban. This happened a couple weeks ago. The ruling reads, and I quote, Georgia's prohibition on abortions after detectable human heartbeat is rational. Respect for and preservation of prenatal life at all stages of development, is a legitimate interest. The Georgia legislator's findings acknowledge a state interest in providing full legal recognition to an unborn child. End quote. So just a reminder that the Supreme Court said, and again I quote here, the Constitution makes no reference to abortion and no such right is implicitly protected by any constitutional provision. End quote. So, I'm really curious to understand what full legal recognition to an unborn child means. And this is something that the state is going to have to figure out and figure out fast. Because that sounds to me that that means in utero child support, in utero tax benefits for a mother and family, and a whole lot more. And so, (sighs) you know the men who were quiet on uh, abortion laws changing i think are going to start to feel real different when they start having to pay child support while the child is in your utero Dang. um in georgia elections it is an election year so kemp's campaign released a poll that shows he's up about 50 45 over Stacey abrams And the part that I was particularly interested in is the poll showed a quarter of African Americans age 35 and under support Kemp. While around 10% of African American men over 35% also support him. Another poll, not a Kemp poll, but an external poll, had him up 52-45. Now, there's still time for Stacey to make up ground, but... She definitely has her work cut out for her. Over the weekend, she did an event in Cobb County targeted to black men. This is the second event that she did. And from everything that I've been told, she did not call a single black male elected official in Cobb County to invite them to come to her event. Not quite how you want to do things if you're trying to get black folks, particularly black men. In other news, Warnock is faring a bit better. Herschel has had a few bad weeks, right? So he said he was ready to debate Warnock. He keeps saying this like every other day. Now, the Atlanta Press Club has on the books an October 15th debate that they date that they have selected for the debate. Warnock is confirmed and the libertarian candidate is confirmed. The only candidate not confirmed is Herschel Walker. So Maybe at most Herschel will commit to one debate, although I wouldn't be surprised if he completely backs out um, to be determined. Uh, So another thing, uh, just wrapping up on kind of what's happening in in the election side of the House. One last thing about Stacey. Uh, Her team put out an ad aimed at reaching independent voters. Take a listen to this.
5: Former deputy sheriff, I've seen all kinds of gun crimes, and I can tell you, Brian Kemp's new law is dangerous. It makes it easier for criminals to carry loaded guns in public, at the movies, in church, no permit, no background check. Mr. Kemp, I call that criminal carrying. Brian Kemp may talk tough, but he makes us less safe. Because the last place we want more criminals with guns is here.
1: So, when he says the last place we want guns is here, he's pointing at a school. I think that's the right message, and more messages like that. Um, By the way, Georgia Dems hosted national party leaders last week as they are pitching Atlanta to host the 2024 convention. I mentioned this before. And from everything I've heard, it was a real success. Uh, Jermaine Dupree came out and he played Welcome to Atlanta. You don't know that song, you don't live in Atlanta. Um and <coughs> they wind and dine folks all across town. The last time we hosted a convention was 1988. Um but I think, you know, I think we might win this one. We'll see. Uh there's a lot of money that's going to come to Atlanta for that convention. All right. In other news, uh, the Biden White House, and this is really something that the Vice President Kamala Harris did, sent an email to Governor Brian Kemp asking him to help sign up Georgians for a rebate, rebate program that will help make sure internet access is affordable for everyone. So as part of the infrastructure bill that was passed, I guess, a couple months ago, Congress and the White House created something called the Affordable Connectivity Program. So if you're listening to this and you are a single person who makes less than $28,000 a year, you can apply to get $30 off of your internet bill every month. So you can have AT&T, Comcast, Cost Communications, Verizon. Those are just some of the participating providers. And you can also get $100 off of a new computer or tablet. So how to do this? Go to getinternet.gov, that's .gov, to see if you're eligible and to sign up. So about 1 million Georgians are eligible for this savings. Now I remember back when I had at and I was paying $70 a month for high-speed internet. I think my Google Fiber is about the same price. So saving $30 a month is a big deal for me. So it's certainly for... Someone making less than $28,000. Uh, the Biden White House has been pushing for broadband access across the country, especially for rural areas. And at this point, broadband should just be the same as water or electricity. Like, there's an expectation that it's available to you at all times. All right. That's it with Georgia. And let's move on to what's happening in other parts of the country. All right. Uh, let's do a breakdown of some recent votes that happen in the House, and this is in D.C. So, Democrats forced a vote on gay marriage, and the vote went about as expected. 77% of House Republicans voted no on codifying gay marriage. Now, remember a couple weeks ago, we mentioned that Senator Ted Cruz said gay marriage should be up to the states. Now, the question is if and when the Senate will vote. Take a listen to this snippet from Pete Buttigieg. He ran for president and is a gay member of the Biden Harris cabinet.
6: Uh, Con- uh, Congresswoman Liz Cheney talked about, uh, spoke directly to Senate Republicans uh, who are on the fence about the need, in her view, to codify protections for same sex marriage. Um, it's still clear if uh, there are 10 Senate Republicans willing to support it. Republican Senator Rubio told my colleague, Manu uh, he's gonna vote no, and he called the, called the vote a, quote, stupid waste of time. Um, what's your reaction on that? What's your message to Senate Republicans?
5: If he's got time to fight against Disney, I don't know why he wouldn't have time to help safeguard marriages like mine. Look, this is really, really important to a lot of people. It's certainly important to me. I, I started my day, as, as I try to do on weekends, uh, I try to give Chastin a little bit of a break and do breakfast with, with both of our, our twins. Uh, and uh, uh, that alone, that's no small thing, uh, uh, as every parent of, of small kids knows. Uh, it was one of those days where the tray table wasn't quite uh, fitting into the high chair. And uh, I'm trying to make sure that they're busy enough with their little cereal puffs to give me enough time to chop up the banana and get the formula ready. And, and it just, I don't know, that half hour of my morning had me thinking about how much I depend on and count on my spouse every day, and our marriage deserves to be treated equally. And I don't know why this would be hard for a senator or a congressman. I don't understand how such a majority of of House Republicans voted no on our marriage on as recently as Tuesday, hours after I was in a room with a lot of them talking about transportation policy, having what I thought were perfectly normal conversations with, with many of them on that subject, only for them to go around the corner and say that, uh, that my marriage doesn't deserve to continue. If they don't want to spend a lot of time on this, they can vote yes and move on. And that would be really reassuring for a lot of families around America, including mine.
1: So another key issue that Democrats call to a vote is the right to contraception. 96% of Republicans voted no to the right to contraception. <clears throat> Eight voted yes, and two voted present, which means they didn't want to vote yes or no, which I think is such a cop-out. Another bill, a measure to ban assault rifles. Two Republicans voted yes, and five Dems voted no. And by the way, if you're wondering, every single Republican member of the Georgia congressional delegation voted no on all these bills. Another thing to note is that these bills will go to the Senate, where they are expected to die. Now, the question is if the Senate will even call them to a vote. And speaking of a vote that has gotten a lot of attention, it's the burn pits bill. So this is uh, supposed to help veterans who've had health complications, including from cancer, from the burning of toxic materials while overseas in combat areas. Now, these burn pits, they literally burn any and everything that you can imagine that would be at a war scene. Materials, bodies, clothing, food, any and everything. Take a listen to this.
7: His name was Heath Robinson. He was a father, a soldier, and a fitness fanatic. In an interview with the Columbus dispatch a few years ago, he told the paper that at his peak, He could bench press 315 pounds, squat 400, and run two miles in under 12 minutes. He was twice named non-commissioned officer of the year by the Ohio Army National Guard for his physical prowess. In 2017, Sergeant First Class Heath Robinson was training for a half marathon when he began to feel weak and tired. A month later, he got devastating news. He had lung cancer that had already spread to his bones and elsewhere. Doctors gave him four to eight weeks to live. Sergeant First Class Heath Robinson held on much longer than that. But in May of 2020, he died. How did a healthy man contract such a serious cancer seemingly out of nowhere? His family believes it was from burn pits. Toxic piles of flaming waste that Heath was exposed to during his time serving in Iraq. And his death was on a rare, isolated case. An estimated 3.5 million veterans have been exposed to toxic substances like burn pits since the September 11th attacks, which is why Congress decided to do something to help those veterans, legislation giving them access to the health care and support they desperately need. The bill was called the Sergeant First Class Heath Robinson Honoring Our Promise to Address Comprehensive Toxics Act. An early version of the bill to help these veterans passed the Senate earlier this year, with overwhelming bipartisan support. The vote was 84 to 14. The Senate was supposed to take a procedural vote on that legislation last night, with final passage slated for the end of the week. But then Democrats announced that they had struck a surprise deal on a big-budget package of climate, health care, and tax policies. And that made Republicans angry. A win for Joe Biden's agenda not on their watch. So apparently, they took revenge. So Senate Republicans, members of a party which love to wave the flag and say they support the troops, seem to take their frustrations out about the advance of Joe Biden's agenda on sick and ailing veterans. They blocked... They blocked that bill to help veterans affected by toxic burn pits. Today, at a press conference outside the Capitol, Sergeant First Class Heath Robinson's mother-in-law took the podium in her late son-in-law's army jacket to offer her thoughts on the Republicans' brave stance against veterans.
1: Senator Toomey, Senator Rob Portman, is Heath, was Heath senator. Voted no. They voted against my family. They voted for all of us to suffer. Every single one has pictures with veterans on their Facebook pages, on their websites. Well, screw that. They don't support veterans. If you vote note on this bill, you do not support veterans. I'm done. And the next time I come back here, it better be to sign the damn bill at the White House because I'm sick and tired of this bullshit. standing along. I'm not mad at that. I hear her. So, comedian John Stewart has been pushing to get this bill signed. He also did something similar a year or so ago when Congress was slow-walking another bill to pay for the health care costs of first responders to 9-11 attacks on New York City. Literally the exact same thing happened where Congress was saying, oh, we don't have the money or we're not able to help first responders who have contracted cancer because they were on the scene and absorbing all this toxic waste from the 9-11 attacks. So what does this bill do, the bill that Republicans are not uh, willing to vote yes on? It expands the number of medical facilities to treat veterans and soldiers. It helps recruit medical staff. And it changes some of the health care eligibility requirements. Now, according to the House Committee on Veterans Affairs, which is led by Democrats because they do control the House, at least for now, from June 2007 to December of 2020, more than 13,000 veterans filed a disability claim related to burn pits. But less than 3,000 of those claims were approved. Now, by the time you listen to this episode, there's a chance that the Senate will vote again on this bill. Senate Majority Leader Chuck Schumer said he was going to call for a Monday vote. Now, Senator Pat Toomey of Pennsylvania, you heard the mother mention this. He held up the vote because he said he had a problem with some of the spending language in the bill. Now, essentially, Republicans who voted against this bill are now saying it's too expensive. This is an example of the very worst of politics. And it's an example of saying one thing and doing another. We support the troops. We support our veterans. But at the end of the day, their injuries, their health, that's on them, not on us. A shame. Okay, another uh, two bills that I want to highlight. These are kind of wonky, but they really do impact your everyday life. And so it's worth paying attention to these. Now, everyone's favorite villain, West Virginia Senator Joe Manchin, finally agreed to support a climate bill to wean America off of foreign oil and energy. Now, this bill was originally supposed to be part of Build Back Better and the climate bill that Biden pushed for back in 2020. Manchin, or 2021, Manchin killed the coupling of those bills and he forced a scaled-down version of Build Back Better. And then he finally now is bought into the climate bill, but after he got it renamed to the Inflation Reduction Act, which actually is a smart marketing tactic given that inflation is at an all-time high, at least for our lifetime. Um, And since Republicans don't think that the climate is a problem, at least some Republicans don't think that. So take a listen to what this bill will do.
8: West Virginia Senator Joe Manchin's agreements agreed to a deal with Democratic leaders on a major domestic policy bill that climate change and lower health care costs while paying down the national debt. The agreement caps nearly two years of negotiations that saw Manchin repeatedly foil efforts by fellow Democrats in the narrowly divided Senate to pass President Biden's legislative agenda. The emerging deal seeks to slash U.S. emissions by roughly 40 percent through the end of the decade at a cost of around $400 billion, with tax credits and rebates for home insulation, solar panels, electric vehicles, and more. The bill would also place a $2,000 cap on seniors' annual out-of-pocket costs for prescription drugs and would, for the first time, allow Medicare to negotiate, the price of drugs. The agreement with Manchin does not include a tax increase on wealthy Americans. Instead, it seeks to raise about three-quarters of a trillion dollars over the next decade through a 15 percent minimum tax on corporations. It's not known whether another conservative Democrat, Arizona's Kirsten Cinema, will support the deal.
1: <laughs> All right, so here's a breakdown of what's in this bill. billion in clean energy tax credits, $80 billion in new rebates for electric vehicles, green energy at home. So that breaks down to a $7,500 tax credit if you purchase a new electric vehicle or a $4,000 tax credit if you purchase a used electric vehicle. Uh, Other parts of this bill, $1.5 billion in rewards for cutting methane emissions. $27 $27 billion for a green bank, and that's basically a public-private partnership where public uh, governments at the local and state level will receive benefits to partner with private the private sector on projects that are green. Support for fossil fuel projects. This is how they got Joe Manchin support. $313 billion uh, from a 15% corporate minimum tax. Now, this tax is only for companies that earn a billion dollars a year in profits. Now, to put this in context, Chevron earned $11.6 billion in profits, Exxon $17.9 billion in profits in just three months. Three months. And... Yes, people are upset that with Joe Biden that gas prices are high, but you might want to start looking at the gas companies because it's not that they passed those savings on to you. They did what's called stock buybacks uh, to keep that money in-house. Other things this bill does, $124 billion for uh, the IRS to do major enforcement increases. They're really targeting companies and wealthy folks who are not paying their fair share. (laughs)
0: <laughs> Are they targeting people too? Yeah, they're targeting people too. That make over six hundred dollars in transactions. Yes. I just got an email about it. That's the only reason why. Oh yeah, they're like, hey, you know, you small businesses, you got to start doing this part for your taxes now. So yeah, you tax accountants out there, about to get somebody.
1: Yes, Damn. that's an- another topic. <clears throat> That's another topic for another day. But why the tax system in America is so complicated? Uh. Another thing the bill does, I think they mentioned this in the clip, it lowers the prescription drug drug prices. For the first time, Medicare is able to negotiate drug prices with those companies, and it's going to be a significant savings. Uh, And then it caps the cost for senior citizens to $2,000 a year for their drugs that they have to purchase under (laughs) Medicare. Very big. Now, to give you the Georgia angle on this huge bill that includes climate and healthcare and some other stuff. So there's a solar manufacturing plant in Dalton, Georgia, which used to be known as the carpet capital of the world. So that solar plant is going to reap some huge benefits from this bill passing if it does indeed pass. So it makes solar plants in America more competitive and it keeps those jobs and grows those jobs here Instead of those companies going to China or, Asia or other parts of Asia for cheaper labor and cost, Why China? Because China controls more than 80% of solar panel production. And they've invested a lot. <laughs> they've invested $50 billion in solar production alone. And so this is one of two bills that I'm talking about here that are really aimed at bringing jobs and bringing manufacturing back to America. So the other one is the chips bill. So you know how during the pandemic there's been this shortage of everything, especially tech products, and that's been because of the shortage of semiconductors, also known as chips. So your phone, your laptop, your refrigerator, LED lights, the equipment we're using right now to record this podcast... All of those use chips, right? So if you plug it in or it runs on a battery, it uses a chip. Now, most chips are made in China. So when the COVID lockdowns happen, it killed production and caused a backlog of orders. So, for example, General Motors, the car company, said right now they have 90,000 cars they can't finish building because they're waiting on the chips. So that's just one example of one company facing this issue. So the House and Senate voted on a chips and science bill that's going to subsidize the production of chips in America so that we don't have to rely on foreign companies, namely those in China and Taiwan. So the bill gives $52 billion in government subsidies for production and $24 billion in tax credits to build these plants. Now, this isn't an overnight fix. It's going to take two or three years to build these new factories. And this was a rare, rare moment of bipartisanship. So the Republicans who voted yes on this recognize what's at stake, right? As I just mentioned, American jobs, the strength of American companies, and even America's national security. How does that, how does national security play into this conversation? So again, most of the chips that we get are from China and Taiwan. Well, China doesn't recognize Taiwan as an independent nation. And it's only a matter of time before China decides to invade Taiwan. Why does that sound familiar? Think about Russia and Ukraine. Russia does not recognize Ukraine as an independent nation. So if and when China decides to invade Taiwan, there's not going to be a lot of chip making going on and it's going to absolutely crush manufacturing plants in America who can't get their chips. So if you're amazed at how much the cost of a used car is right now, Imagine what it's going to be like when instead of a $90,000, a 90,000 car backlog at General Motors is happening, it's a 400,000 car backlog at General Motors. You would have fur, you would have to furlough workers because the plants would be at a standstill. So again, this is another bill that Republican leadership fought to kill, like the others, uh, but thankfully just enough Republicans in the House and Senate thought it was a bill worth passing. And just the last thing I would say on this is, this is the type of America first legislation that I would have thought would have been coming from the Trump White House because it's all about manufacturing, helping working class, blue collar folks, bringing jobs back to America. But it's actually happening under the Biden administration. And it's something that Biden really needs to be touting and saying, hey, I'm for the American worker. Uh, and here's how we're making that happen.
0: Like who comes up with the name for the bills? Like they call this the, the staff, chips, the staff. So there was like no acronym for dip. Like they could have called it the chips and dip. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Maybe, um, you know, the burn pit legislation. There was a, there was an acronym for that. Oh, for pit.
0: Mm-hmm. Oh, okay.
1: What's next? A new third party, perhaps Yang gang. Pay attention to this. Andrew Yang, the former New Jersey Governor Christine Todd Whitman, who is a Republican, and former Representative David Jolly, also Republican from Florida, have merged their three different political parties to create a new combined political party called Forward, a political party for centrist. Here's what they wrote in a Washington Post op-ed, and I quote, The two major parties have hollowed out the sensible center of our political system, even though that's where most voters want to see them move. A new party must stake out the space in between. On every issue facing this nation, from the controversial to the mundane, we can find a reasonable approach most Americans agree on. They go on to say, Some call third parties spoilers, but the system is already spoiled. There are more than 500,000 elected positions in the United States, but a recent study found that more than 70% of races on ballots in 2020 were unopposed or uncontested. A tiny sliver of U.S. congressional seats will have close races this November. The two major parties have shut out competition, and America is suffering as a result, end quote. Now, New York Times opinion columnist Jamel Bowie wrote a strong response to what the Ford Party says it's for and what it's trying to do. The most successful, and he writes this the most successful third parties in American history have been precisely those that galvanize a narrow slice of the public over a specific set of issues. They further polarize the electorate, change the political landscape, and force the establishment parties. To reckon with their influence, so he's basically saying being a centrist isn't polarizing or exciting enough, and it's not—they're not, not going to attract voters to their party. We'll see. But uh, regardless of that, one piece of free advice that I'm going to give Andrew Yang and the Ford Party is to team up with the Libertarians and the Green Party to actually relax the rules for getting their candidates on the ballot. So, for example, to run for Congress in Georgia on a third-party ticket, you have to petition 5% of voters in the district to get on that ballot. The bar is so high that no one has successfully met it. Now, there was a Libertarian candidate running against Marjorie Taylor Greene. She had to have 23,000 votes to get on the ballot. Now, the rules of this are going to vary by state, but I would certainly start with the battleground states like Georgia and then go from there. Then you have the media and their general lack of interest in non-establishment candidates, right? Remember, Andrew Yang had to fight to get on the debate stage when he was a Democratic candidate for president. So I'm curious to see what happens uh, next with this forward party and if it prompts folks like AOC to break off and establish another party to the left of Democrats. I guess we'll stay tuned on that one. All right, as we get close to wrapping up the show here, we got to do a union update. So let's see what's happening. Starbucks, oh, Starbucks. They closed the store at their union station uh, location in D.C. Workers there were in the process of unionizing. This has been a new effort that Starbucks is doing. Where they close a store, or they temporarily close it for renovations, or they move those employees to other stores. Trader Joe's. Workers at stores in Massachusetts and Colorado are unionizing. And I think it could end up being like Starbucks where it spreads pretty rapidly across the country. Now, the CEO of Trader Joe's sent a letter to their employees in 2020 as part of a union-busting tactic. Take a listen to a couple of employees talking about this.
9: It was very clearly a preventative union busting letter you know he talks about unions were trying to drive a wedge between us and the company like that wedge already is there like that wedge has always been there in the space between like what we the crew need to live our lives and what the company's interests are those things are not the same oh he shared a little bit about union contracts with us he's like you should check out this website if you want to learn what a union contract is so i did a little digging and it turned out that that website was made five days before he wrote the letter it had had like six links on it. It was clearly something made by Trader Joe's to cherry pick some disappointing contracts, things that they thought we wouldn't like to see. And one of the weirdest things that he said was if after the pandemic was over, 30% of the crew at any store wanted to have a union vote, that we would have a vote and that he was pledging to us that he would allow us to have this, this vote. I feel like that misled a lot of people, a lot of crew members who didn't realize that that's the law, that it's not up to Dan if we vote, it's up to us if we vote. And overwhelmingly, our crew has decided that they want to have a union vote and that they want to have a union. Dang.
1: That is accurate. And and your employer cannot say when you can have a union vote. That's completely up to you as a worker. All right. Amazon workers at a Nashville warehouse are starting to unionize. And there have been some quiet rumors of efforts to unionize some of the Atlanta area warehouses as well. We'll see what happens there. And then a big one. uh, This is actually one that will impact literally all of us. 115,000 rail workers could go on strike in September if a deal is not reached between the workers and the rail companies. This is such a big deal that President Biden has appointed a presidential emergency board to reach a mediated contract. Why? Why is Biden paying so much attention to this? Because if the rail workers strike, we are going to run out of food and household supplies in very short order. Rail workers bring everything that you can imagine to us. Cars, food, livestock, all of that. So stay tuned, hopefully, that they reach a deal and that those workers get some additional benefits and support. So unionization is happening at every level. You're already familiar with police and fire. We've talked about retail workers like Starbucks. And now the latest is Big Ten college football players. They've created an association and they haven't ruled out the next step, which might be formalizing a union. Take a listen to this video from Jason Stahl. He is the founder of the College Football Players Association.
6: The Big Ten is about to announce a billion plus dollar TV contract to showcase the Big Ten and its games from 2024 onward. So, We want to say this money that's coming into the conference should go to three things. Number one, making sure that there's independent medical care for current players. Right now, that's not happening enough. We need a representative that is employed by the Players Association to work at the institutional level and be an advocate for players when they need one, particularly when they've gotten injured. There's going to be no more rushing people back with injuries. That happens all the time. And it needs to stop. Number two, medical care for guys after their playing days are done. I talk with individuals on a weekly, if not daily basis, who have played the game in the past and are still suffering from injuries. Number three then, revenue sharing. The Big Ten is about to sign a media revenue contract after adding USC and UCLA to the Big Ten, which by the way, there's no academic rationale for doing that. This is done to add the Los Angeles TV market. It's gonna be 1.2, 1.3 billion dollars a year. That is more than triple the current contract. More than triple the current contract. A lot of these guys, the stipend checks they get, get, which are pretty meager, a lot of them are sending those stipend checks home to their families and like living on someone else's couch because they come from families that don't have anything. And so even the little amount they're getting here Um, from a, you know, from a stipend is very often being sent home.
1: By the way, check out a new series we've launched over at Atlanta Civic Circle. It's called Labor, Democracy, and the Common Good. And we're tracking all these union efforts that are happening in Georgia. And then even explainers like what are your rights as a worker? What are your rights as a youth worker, right? If you're in that 14 to 18 range, what are you you able to do uh, as a worker? All right, on to Party Starters and Party Poopers. Let's get it started in here. Oh, I'm the
3: party starter. Get this party started. Get this party started. Get this party started. Get this party
1: started. What's rule number one?
5: Party,
1: My party starter is Joe Manchin. Why? I know. Because he has gone from villain to hero in a matter of days. He was on every major political talk show this Sunday, and he continues to have his party by the balls, and they just don't know what to do. Take a listen to this clip.
7: Can you clarify something for me? You seem to suggest uh, this sure. week... That you might not uh, support Joe Biden, or you wouldn't, go, or at least wouldn't commit to supporting Joe Biden if he's the Democratic nominee uh, uh, for for, uh, for 2024. So what's the bottom line? If Biden is renominated
4: John, by your but, party, will, will you will you support him, or could you vote for a Republican? John, John, this is everybody's worried about the elections. That's the problem. It's a 2022 election, 2024. No, but no, but this is I'm a simple question. Would you? Would you? I'm not, no, no, it's this. It's not. I'm not getting involved yeah. in that, John. I'm really not, and I'll tell you the reason. This type of a legislation wouldn't happen unless the president of the United States was involved, and he he gave his blessing and signed off on it. I can assure you of that, and I appreciate that more than anybody knows because so, this has been tough. So you it's wouldn't you won't you won't even ru- so I'm not going I'm not getting into the 2022 or 2024. Whoever You're, is my president, that's my president, and Joe Biden is my president right now. Okay, and you so you won't even uh, and, you, and you can't even rule out voting
7: for a Republican for president.
4: I'm not getting into the 2024 election. I'm not going to get into the 2022 election. That's all. all.
1: So, Joe Manchin says that he refuses to help Democrats and he refuses to say if he will support a Democrat for president in 2024. So, yes, he just might deliver Democrats these key votes on those big bills that I mentioned earlier. Uh, But this is. This is a problem. <laughs> I just can't help but imagine, by the way, if AOC did this, they would be calling for her head. <laughs> so, Joe Manchin is the party starter because he makes sure the party is all about him. And they keep falling for it. <laughs> so,
5: What's rule number one? Party. No, not party. No, it's
9: not party. Turn the lights. The party's over. Party is over. Close the gates. What? All
3: right. Party's over. Everyone go home.
2: I'm the party pooper.
1: My party pooper of the week is something that's a little dark and scary and stormy, kind of given where we are politically right now. It is an effort by Republicans to call for a constitutional convention. Now, to change the Constitution, there are two options, right? So number one. Two-thirds majority of Congress has to propose an amendment, and three-fourths of the states have to agree on it. Now, that's the method that we used for the current amendments to the Constitution. There's another method that has never happened, but it could happen as soon as two years from now. And that is, two-thirds of the state legislators call for a convention and ratify an amendment. Now, this does not require the governor's signature, anything from the president, anything from Congress, only the state legislators. Why is this such a big deal? 19 Republican state legislators, which means that they're Republican controlled, have said they're ready for a constitutional convention. And I suspect if a Democrat wins in 2024, whether that's Joe Biden or someone else, they will accelerate this. Uh, This case, this thing that they're trying to do. Now, they've got a little ways to go. There's 19, but they need, I think, it's 32 as the number. So, if you're wondering why your local state house or your local state senate seat matters, this is Exhibit A. You
0: you know, for the people out there, so you're talking about a national, the actual constitution.
1: Yes, the United States Constitution.
0: Can be changed if two-thirds of All the states, like the state senate in the state house, correct? So, not the representatives be sent to the federal, correct? So, these are our local, your local state
1: house, your local state senate. So,
0: two thirds of all the states combined say, Hey, we want to. That's a lot of people. I wonder how many. I'm gonna do research and see how many, what the number is on that. But, yeah, you need
1: two thirds of the states, at least 19 states have already said. We're up for it because those 19 states are Republican-led. Got gotcha.
0: you. Uh-oh.
1: Okay. And But there are more than 19 states that are Republican-led. I, it's actually, I want to say it's like 30-something. Mm. 30-something states in the across the 50 states.
0: And are we counting the U.S. territories? No, Not, they don't so, count. So it's only the only 50 states. Only 50 states. So Puerto Rico can't say Puerto, No. Oh, man. But they have a... Oh. Dang.
1: <laughs> right. So this is, you know, this is just another one of the tactics that Republicans are being very aggressive about changing the country, like fundamentally changing how we operate as a country, and so this is one way to do it.
0: They could write an amendment to make Puerto Rico never become a state. Yes. Like actually, the,
1: one of the things that they're doing is making one of the reasons for this is to make sure that DC never becomes a state that too. Wow.
0: Damn. So why, when people run locally, they don't use some of these things to kind of like, you know, be more politically savvy? Because I'm not saying scare you into voting, but this would make me look at my local Democratic senator a little harder, but they will also have to fight as well. Right. Yeah.
1: Well, I'm I'm I think I mentioned this on the episode, maybe the last one or the one before that. I think we're at a point now where you do have to scare people into voting because of what not all members of the Republican Party, but what some members of the Republican Party are trying to do.
0: Well, I feel like they scare their base into voting.
1: Yes. Democrats need Democrats need to scare their base in independence, essentially.
0: the difference is I feel like Republicans scare their base, but then also kind of feed their base a little bit. Mm-hmm. The Democrats aren't doing that. They just want to keep scaring us. And, yeah, we'll be scared, but then it's like, you are know, also not feeding us either, though. Right? It's like telling us the other side isn't going to feed us, so that's scary. Right. But when we get over here, we're not being fed. At least the Republicans, they're being scary, and they're throwing a little red meat, you know, to their base. Like, even right. if it's just... You know, I'm just gonna hold up voting for things just to show you guys I'm a staunch Republican. Like,
1: yeah, I mean, like they've held up uh, Biden's confirmations to the to um, ambassadorships. They've held up judicial confirmations. They did that for under um, Obama as well. So yes, in the I'm,
0: bill you just talked about in today's episode, like right? For no reason, you were on board now you're not just to show your base. Hey, that we
1: don't want Democrats we, to win. We play hardball. Right. <laughs> Democrats don't know how to play hardball, it Dang. seems. <laughs> so this is um something that I suspect we'll hear more about over the next couple of years. It's kind of it's it's some it's so like inside baseball that I don't think a lot of people are paying attention to it yet. But when this really pops off, it's gonna be a problem. All right, y'all, that is today's show. Dang, I didn't mean to end it on like such a (laughs) that, but you got to pay attention to what's happening. Um, That is today's show. As always, thank you for listening. Don't forget to leave a voice note. If you want to be included in the show, maybe you want to react to something that we've heard today or in a previous episode. Don't forget our Who Runs Georgia series is going to be launching soon. Stay tuned to that. We'll be bringing you who was running for state office across the state. I'm hoping to get Republicans and Democrats bought into this uh, so that we can really show you where to party at. All right, y'all take care. And until next time, thank you.